0: Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, neurosurgery, neurorehab, and psychiatry.
1: The rapidly evolving landscape of stroke therapies, including thrombolysis and mechanical thrombectomy, have revolutionized care for patients with acute stroke. In this episode of Neural Pathways, we're surveying the current landscape of stroke treatment and looking towards what's on the horizon. I'm your host Glenn Stevens, neurologist neurooncologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute. And joining me for today's conversation is Dr. Gabor Toth. Dr. Toth is an interventional neurologist with Cleveland Clinic's Cerebral Vascular Center. Gabor, welcome to Neural Pathways.
2: Thank you, Glenn. It's great to be here.
1: So, you may not recall this, but I was preparing to do a gamma knife case in February of 2020, just before uh, COVID started. And the patient lived some distance away and hence stayed at a hotel overnight. And his wife drove him, we always start early in the morning, and his wife drove him to the cancer center. And as she's pulling up to the cancer center, he becomes aphasic and hemiparetic on the right side. And they bring him down to the Gamma Knife Center. And we quickly identify he's probably having an acute stroke and we call a two clot. Uh, and he gets taken over to the emergency department. And he has a CTA done that showed a proximal ICA occlusion. And he underwent a thrombectomy. Uh, and my recollection is that he re-stenosed or re-clotted uh, within 24 hours and then had a second thrombectomy and did quite well. Uh, and about a week later, uh, we did his gamma knife. I actually went over to see him in the hospital, and he said to me, "Let's do that gamma knife now." And i said, i don't I said, "I don't think you understand the severity of what could have happened to you here today." I said, "No, We're going to let everything settle down, and we'll do it uh, shortly." And I have to tell you that I've seen him recently. And he has minimal neurologic deficits and his cancer has stayed stable. So, you know, it's one of those things that he was in the right place at the right time with the right procedure and people that were available to do this. If he would have been at home and his wife would have been driving him three hours, it's sad to think of probably what would have happened. Uh, but let's, uh, start with that as a sort of an introduction, uh, and tell us about the landscape of acute stroke therapy options, uh, as it's changed over the years and what we can offer to patients, both medically and interventionally for stroke. I know it's a huge thing. You probably talked for an hour on it, but give us the, the Cole's notes version.
2: Yes, certainly it's a big topic, but, uh... I'm glad you brought this case up. I mean, it's a good representation of what we can do and uh how we can manage uh patients, especially if they're in the right place, right time, the right team uh assembled and uh, you know, quickly help these patients. And yes, although it's not typical, but uh uh if you need us to be you know performing more procedures to to uh because there's recurrent problems, obviously. Uh, we can do that as well. I'm just really uh, pleased to hear how this patient did. I think that's one thing that drives us always, and it's kind of a rewarding thing to to hear these patients' stories and the successes uh, because it certainly makes it all worthwhile. Um, so as far as treatment options for acute stroke, you certainly touched on it that a lot has happened. Uh, a long time has passed since the introduction of uh, TPA, or tissue plasminogen activator, uh, in the mid-1990s, which was the first real acute stroke uh, treatment option for uh, stroke patients. So about uh, we had to wait about 20 years for the next uh, major milestone. Uh, There have been a lot of uh, trials and attempts uh, to help stroke patients in the meantime, and things have certainly gotten better systems of care. But the next milestone occurred around 2014, 2015, When uh, several large randomized controlled trials, which is the highest degree of clinical trials, uh, basically were able to demonstrate the efficacy and safety of endovascular therapies, what you just uh, described. Although uh, large vessel occlusion, we call it, which is a blockage of uh, one of the main arteries of the brain, is um, just a portion of acute strokes but it certainly is one of the most devastating type of types of ischemic stroke and uh, uh, the degree of benefit uh, of this endovascular therapy or mechanical thrombectomy um, uh, has been has been basically uh, proven to be one of the um, highest degrees of, of benefit uh, almost in the history of medicine. And uh, the, um, the field continues to evolve rapidly with better and newer generation uh, devices that help us achieve the goal of reopening blocked uh, blood vessels in the brain and neck Also, um, we were able to show that uh, patients happen to come in later, potentially after a stroke. Uh, We can uh, always uh, uh, evaluate them and uh, expand treatment options for some of those patients as well. Uh, We uh, have the option now to extend treatment options uh, for acute stroke patients for up to 24 hours after symptoms onset in select patients. So certainly this has been a game changer. On the medical side, uh, though, there has been some new developments uh, over the last few years because other than uh, the tissue, tissue plasminogen activator, a new player uh, showed up called TANEC or TNK, uh, and more and more data has uh, come out pro- uh, providing benefit of, of this new agent. And um, certainly there are a few considerations that make actually even more advantageous uh, than TPA. And that's certainly one of the newer agents that we have um, uh, come out with and uh, basically introduced to our uh, system and enterprise that we can use. Uh, on the... Other end, you know, there have been a few other um, uh, attempts to help acute stroke patients. And you know, without going into too much detail, there have been research studies looking at uh, giving certain medications before the patients get to the hospital in the ambulance. Certain neuroprotective agents uh, have been studied, and uh, even cooling of patients uh, that has been useful for uh, cardiac arrest patients. But thus far, you know, we still don't have a strong evidence that those you know, work well, as well as the other methods and treatment options that I just mentioned. So certainly, uh, I would say uh, a lot has happened in the last 25 years, and we still keep going forward and uh, improving care for acute stroke patients.
1: Excellent. So what percentage of patients that have a thrombus get some type of intervention uh, of all the patients that are out there? Is it 5%, 10%?
2: Yeah, so the studies vary, and there there's some studies that show as high as 30, 30% or higher, but I think the more realistic uh, percent is somewhere between 10 to 20% of patients. So
1: it sounds like we have a lot of work to do. Time is brain, uh, and I know that you guys have been very active in this area with the ambulances and the stroke mobile and these types of things, and uh, having access to medications, but it's a it's a complicated problem for sure. Uh, any insights into how we can improve that, other than education?
2: Yeah, I mean education is certainly is a, a big part. But uh, uh, I think that for the Cleveland Clinic as an enterprise, uh, we were able to expand uh, our systems of care uh, successfully over the years because of the coordinated efforts of. Uh, large number of people, uh, stroke coordinators, uh, research coordinators, physicians, nurses, technicians. Uh, we were able to build teams in all of our hubs. And basically um, what happens if a stroke patient rolls into one of the Cleveland Clinic Enterprise Hospital as part of our network, then basically an emergency room physicians uh, and the setup is such that we are able to triage and uh, transfer the patients to the best place possible where the best treatment is available. Some patients don't stay there. If the best care can be provided locally, obviously the patients will stay there. But uh, specifically for thrombectomy, uh, we have several hubs uh, in Ohio, where patients are uh, rapidly transferred to, we are able to help and again, as I said before, it takes a village, uh, all the nurses, technicians, uh, fellows, physicians, and a lot of people are involved uh, in making this happen, and uh, for us to be able to provide as rapid care as possible uh, to acute stroke patients education is a is a big part of it. Uh, But again, building the network efficiently and safely, I think, is also uh, a major component here.
1: So I assume that the TNK is a second-generation TPA or uh, slightly different. What's the difference between the drugs? What's the benefit of the newer drug?
2: So both achieve their effect by binding to fibrin and clots, and converting the entrapped uh, plasminogen to plasmin. And then plasmin in turn uh, breaks up the clot or the thrombus. And tenecteplase is kind of a modified form of alteplase. Uh, There are a couple of mutations in in the genetics that basically renders it a larger molecule with a little bit longer half-life. And so these properties allow us to intravenously administer the medication as a single bolus as opposed to TPA that had to be given over an hour infusion so TNK can be given just like a, a rapid short bolus and immediately uh, is effective. And um, again, there is scientific research that is showing that there's possibly an improved efficacy of recanalization of certain blocked vessels. And uh, the safety profile is very favorable compared to TPA. Certainly, there are some thoughts that if the efficacy of the revascularization opening of the vessels is uh more efficient, it could actually uh, help patients, especially in the early uh, phase after uh, stroke onset, uh, even open up large vessels that previously needed thrombectomy and maybe can spare a procedure uh, for the patients. But these are, this, uh, this is currently in an early stage. We will certainly need more data, but very, uh, very promising. And I'm very proud to announce that uh, the Cleveland Clinic is an enterprise just switched over to uh, to connect that place in the entire system now. Good,
1: excellent. So obviously uh, you know we have to get better at getting patients' medical care, which is you know going to be a, a a difficult effort to do for many reasons. but there may be a lot of individuals out there on the other end of things, and what are the most important risk factors uh, that we should work on to decrease the likelihood of ending up with this problem?
2: I mean, there's a large number of potential risk factors that can lead to strokes in general, and uh, you know uh, blockages in large vessels. But the most common ones are, you know, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, uncontrolled diabetes, active smoking, drug use, and certain heart conditions also predispose uh, to uh, blood clot formation and strokes, especially if they're not. Uh, detected and not treated appropriately many times in blood thinners.
1: Yeah. So my commercial out there is just to make sure that we're on our patients to uh, have them do the right things.
2: Absolutely.
1: So with um, we mentioned this a little bit with large vessel occlusions that obviously are a high risk. uh, We have highly efficacious therapy available in the form of mechanical thrombectomy. And I still wonder with my patient, Uh, because it was sort of pre-COVID, if the patient had COVID? Because I thought I had had read some data that they're at a little more risk of more proximal stenosis. Is that true, or did that not show out, or what's happened with that?
2: Yeah, there's um, also um, a growing literature on COVID and stroke, and certainly it has been shown that uh, COVID can be a predisposing factor to having a stroke, especially, I think the most prominent that was shown is something uh, called a hypercoagulable state. So COVID uh, resulting in a cascade in the bloodstream that results in and blood clot formation, not just in the arteries, but potentially in the veins as well. There have been other associated types of strokes with COVID that uh, result in some sort of a uh, vessel wall abnormality, or we call it vasculopathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a few patients, even young ones, who, um, who developed uh, basically narrowing of the blood vessels requiring intervention uh, after a COVID infection. I think we still have a, a whole lot more to, to work on and understand uh, with COVID and stroke, but these are the main points that, uh, that we have uh, learned in the recent years. I hate to admit
1: it, but you know, 30 years ago, I remember we would do an angiogram on a patient, and they would have a thrombus, you know, in an acute setting. And really, the only intervention we had was for the interventionalist to take the catheter and essentially poke and break up the clot. And of course, that clot would go somewhere, uh, but it was the lesser of two evils, right, that it would go and lodge and affect a small area versus a large area. So, you know, the advent of thrombectomy is so much more exciting. Uh, Any trials you guys have going on? Any? uh, There's always new devices, but anything exciting you guys are doing right now?
2: I'm glad you asked. Yeah. So, uh, you know, being at the Cleveland Clinic, there's always something new. There's always cutting edge and there's always uh, new trials and studies going on. So our center, the cerebrovascular center, has been actively involved in a lot of national, international trials regarding acute stroke. Um, there are a few areas uh, that uh, we are looking at as part of these trials, uh, as also as our, our group as well, to try to expand and extend the. the potentially the window, but also the indication uh, of, of thrombectomy or stroke care for, for more patients. One of the first ones that happened uh, about two three years ago were two big trials that basically ended up in, um, in extending the time window uh, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, previously, uh, uh, the well-known time is brain concept uh, was very valid, but it was noted that there are some patients who, uh, despite the stroke started earlier, even several hours later still had salvageable brain tissue and so the two trials called diffuse three and dawn these are just names uh were able to demonstrate that up to 24 hours thrombectomy can be beneficial for patients who are selected uh, with uh, advanced neuroimaging now um as as the years go on the new areas where we we're trying to um Identify uh, more patients that could benefit from from these treatments uh, are a, f- a few different ones. So one is that our group, in, in particular has been involved uh, very much with a patient population called mild stroke with large vessel occlusion. So although most patients with these large vessel blockages have severe symptoms, but there is a few or a smaller portion that still have milder symptoms. And the concern is that if they are not helped, then over time, they they turn into a larger stroke. And so our group actually at the Cleveland Clinic uh, a year or two ago published a research paper showing that if these patients are taken for thrombectomy it can be done safely now this was not an randomized controlled trial so but fortunately it paved the way for for a larger uh, a trial that's currently actually happening all over in the u.s called Endolo that looks at this particular patient population and obviously we're part of part of this trial trying to see if we can uh, safely and efficiently Uh, Help these patients. So that's one area of uh, particular interest. The other uh, area um, is uh, something called a large infarct core stroke. So uh, traditionally, when uh, patients came in with stroke symptoms and we did advanced imaging and it showed an area of a large infarct or or, or basically a stroke already, the concept was there's really not much else to to do and uh, unfortunately many of those patients didn't get therapies but more and more um, data has uh, surfaced uh, showing uh, actually potential benefit for some of these patients. So there are a few trials ongoing in the U.S. and we're part of uh, one called the Select 2 that that looks at this particular patient population and hopefully in the next year or two we'll be able to see if uh, actually more more patients could qualify for a thrombectomy because even if they have a stroke already maybe the area that's salvageable around it still can help with the recovery and that's the main concept here and then one more area that's becoming very popular and and obviously uh, more and more studied is blockages in what we call medium or distal vessels of the brain so when the thrombectomy started mostly we tried to go for vessels that are larger closer to the the skull base uh, because those are the tools that we had to safely reach those areas but now with as you mentioned device development technology innovations we have better and better tools and we're able to go more farther and farther out in the brain and there are trials now that uh, we'll be looking at vessels that are farther out in the brain if we can safely remove even smaller clots from those areas and uh, obviously the question comes up why would we do that it's because that sometimes some of those smaller vessels can affect uh, brain um, regions that are really crucial and important, uh, such as speed center uh, or area that controls movements on the other side of the body. And so certainly even smaller vessels can cause debilitating symptoms. And so those are areas that we're certainly looking at and uh, studying, including our center. There are some attempts looking at previously studied areas of, of, for example, cooling and neuroprotective agents. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about those uh, in the next uh, couple of years as well.
1: Excellent. I I remember when I first uh, heard the word penumbra. Uh, and I thought it was just a fascinating term, Eddie, and it's the, you know, area at risk. And, and that's been the big bugaboo, right, in terms of what's really infarcted and what's really salvageable right. uh, for patients. And I'm very excited to hear about the continued uh, prolongation of, of window of opportunity for patients, because I think we have to give them the benefit of the doubt.
2: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, to add to that, uh, with the help of artificial intelligence and AI uh, in the recent years, uh, our technology to select these patients and do imaging on them and also the timely notification of physicians of these problems uh, have tremendously improved and certainly will also benefit uh, more and more patients going forward. Uh,
1: Well, Gabor, this sounds like an exciting field to be a part of. Uh, I appreciate your sharing your insights with me today, and I always enjoy working with you. Thanks for joining me.
2: Same here. Thank you very much for the opportunity.
0: This concludes this episode of Neuro Pathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website. That's consultqd.com. ClevelandClinic.org slash Nero or follow us on Twitter at CLEClinicMD, all one word. And thank you for listening.